last week we began a message called Here Comes Heaven. And there are a few principles I shared last week that I want to share again. Let's begin with the end. Oh, I'm going to get past all that, sorry. Jesus was the only human being who chose to be born. And we found out last week that the reason he came to this planet was to inaugurate his kingdom. He was looking forward to the end. So we're going to begin with the fact that God's desire from eternity is to bring all things together, both in heaven and in earth. He's all about that. He's all about relationship. He's all about closeness. And he's not about separation. And he's not distant from you. Say, yeah, you don't know me. Well, God does. And I'm telling you, regardless of what might be going on in your life or decisions you've made, God is not far from you. And he sent Jesus to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth to himself. Look at this, Ephesians 1. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Here's Philip's translation. All human history shall be consummated in Christ. Everything that exists in heaven or on earth shall find its perfection and fulfillment in Christ. So by Jesus' coming and his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he inaugurates not just forgiveness of sins. He does not start, thank you, Tim. He does not start the Christian religion, contrary to popular thought. He inaugurates his kingdom. And I submit to you that this world, in fact, the entire cosmos, is a different place because of what Jesus accomplished in his coming to this earth. Now, it's hard for us to perceive and embrace and sometimes understand that he inaugurated his kingdom on earth when he came because of evil. You know how evil works. And once we begin to worship things like pride and violence, sex, even science and politics, once we, once we worship that human element, it begins to take over. And we as a vessel for his glory, which is what he created us to do is to give him glory, break. That vessel breaks. It's called sin. Now, in that state of brokenness, God had a plan. God had a plan to rescue out of love. Say it. God's plan is to rescue 
Why? And that love that he had for you from eternity past when before the world was founded, the Lamb, the Bible says that God's plan for the Lamb, Jesus, was before the world began. Did you know you are not a product of your parents? <laughs> Long before you were a twinkle in your mother or father's eye, God, the Bible says, formed you perfectly, loved you passionately. And that love never changed, even in the fall. In fact, God left the garden with Adam and Eve. Think about that. You remember how there's all this teaching about how God put Adam and Eve out of the garden because he was mad at them and angry at their sin. Interesting thing is, God went with them. <laughs> Why? So that he could be close to them. So that he could love them. So that he could embrace them. So that he could demonstrate his passion for man. It's it's as though when you think about Christmas and Christ's coming and you sing the carols and all of that, it, it, it's as though there's this sort of sigh of relief. <sighs> Someday I'm going to go to heaven. <laughs> Dear ones, you need to hear something this morning. Heaven is not your goal. And it was not the goal of Christ when he came. Well, Pastor, this is certainly a different Christmas message. <laughs> yeah, it is. And N.T. Wright, famous theologian, prolific author, says, this whole idea of Christ coming to waylay God's wrath, you know, to step in and, and take our punishment and, and waylay, waylay God's wrath and God was mad at us and separate from us and all of that sort of thing. And, and so even Christmas really comes about sort of begging God for forgiveness, just admitting, you know, that we're weak, we're, we're not loved by God and, and asking for his forgiveness and someday if I live a good enough life, I'll get to go to heaven. <sighs> N.T. Wright says, this is a very low grade, almost pagan view of God, which we get by moralizing our view of humanity. Morals matter tremendously, but humans are more than a moral-keeping machine. Did you hear that? So it was God's plan to rescue According to Paul in his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 3, he says, not that God punished Jesus, but that God condemned sin in Jesus' body. So he didn't punish Jesus. He, he put sin to death. He destroyed its power through what Jesus did. The primary goal of Jesus is not to make a way for you and I to go to heaven, it was to destroy the power of sin and to inaugurate his kingdom on this planet. Boy, what a different view of Christmas. So, you know the Christmas story. I'm going to go back here just for a little bit. In the Gospels, each one of the Gospel writers take 
time at the very beginning of their letter, their gospel, to write about the coming of Jesus, Christmas. Luke, like none of the others, describes it in much greater detail than any of the others. So we're going to fast forward now to Luke's gospel. We're going to go to chapter 1, and we are going to read several verses here as we prepare then for our Christmas rendering and Christmas story. Ready? And I submit to you as we read through here, what you're going to experience is this. Christmas is the restoration of God's presence, both on earth and in your life. Let's go. Verse 26 and 28, Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man who was, his name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, there are two announcements regarding the birth of Christ. Number one, from both Matthew's account of the birth of Christ and then Isaiah prophetically speaking of the birth of Christ, the word Emmanuel is used. And Emmanuel is going to come. The Christ child will be called Emmanuel. Can anybody tell me what that means? You all know, sure. If you've, right, you've been to church service or Sunday school, you learned that that means God with us. So the announcement of the angels to the shepherds was that his name meant God is going to be with you, the restoration of God's presence. God does not desire to be distant from the earth. God does not desire to be separate from us. And so he even names his child and his coming, Emmanuel. Then there's a second proclamation made to the shepherds by the angels. Peace on earth, right? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Now, uh, Jeff, I don't know if I put this in here or not. I don't think I did. But the Passion Translation, listen to this. The Passion Translation of that says this. Glory to God in the highest realms of heaven, for there is peace and a good hope given to the sons of men. There is no longer any reason for me or you to walk around during our week filled with discouragement, despair, and disappointment. Christ came to inaugurate his kingdom and restore hope. If there's anything that should fill our life all week long, despite our circumstances, it is hope. Now, one of the reasons we do not have hope is, of course, our circumstances, but our religious views... Our religious views keep us, once again, from being both close to God as well as receiving this message that he came to give us hope. He came to inaugurate his kingdom. He, he came to defeat the power of the devil and sin and destroy it all, which he was successful in doing. And so I, I, this week while I was studying... I came across an article. I just lifted one sentence. Listen to this. See if it 
rings a bell to some of the religious training that you have had. I, I know it did for me. Here's the sentence. Listen. Because of sin, God requires sacrifices to make atonement and restore his favor. That was in an article I was reading about Christmas and the coming of Christ. I'll read it again. Quote, because of sin, God requires sacrifices to make an atonement and restore his favor. So in other words, without sacrifice, God does not look favorably towards you. And if you don't perform the sacrifices properly, you are outside of God's favor. And God's wrath rests upon you. That's common religious teaching. Now that's interesting because according to Psalm chapter 40, verse 6, and Hebrews chapter 10, Ver, uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 5 and 8, says this, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. You did not. You had no delight in them. God doesn't delight in your moral behavior, your religious steps and order. God doesn't get satisfaction from behavior modification. God gets satisfaction from loving you just because he loves you. Hey, husbands and wives, how deep is the love in your relationship when you feel like the only time your spouse loves you is when you do something correctly? I'm just saying, <laughs> doesn't that put stress on the relationship? <laughs> to know that the only way you're going to gain their approval or a smile or their goodwill is if you are acting right or doing things that make them happy. You know what we call that? Transactional relationship. And that is the foundation of most evangelical teaching here in the West. Our Eastern Orthodox brothers have never believed this mess, but we do because we have a transactional Christianity. If I do this, if I sacrifice this, if I get my life right, my behavior is moral, then God will do this and he'll embrace me and he'll love me. That is the foundation religiously. Common view. Listen to this. Here's, here's another sentence I lifted from a different article. Two of them. It just blew me away. And I quote, Unless God did something to remove her sin, speaking of the Virgin Mary, his wrath would have remained on her like any other fallen human. Now, I would agree with the part that he's fallen. She was fallen just like any other human, right? However, look, look at the whole tone of it. Just to start... Unless God did something to remove her sin, his wrath would have remained on her like any other fellow human. Now, here's the deal. So, until you come to our church or until you embrace our religious belief, pray our prayer, God is angry at you. I mean, that's where it settles. Here's the, here's the second comment, same author, same article. The greatest blessing Mary received was that her child saved her from her damning sins so that he could bring her to God. So in other words, even the Virgin Mary was distant from God prior to her behavior, prior to her yes, what if she had said no? 
Just being real with y'all. Hey, ladies. An angel shows up and tells you you're getting pregnant. <laughs> now, I don't know. There might be some salvation in your head, you know, some, some redeeming fact that it's going to be God that you're going to carry in your belly for nine months. I mean, maybe that would get you over, you know, past childbirth pain and, you know, all, you know, eating pickles and ice cream in the middle of the night and all the things that you, you know, have to put up with for nine months. I mean, maybe that would carry you through knowing the divine destiny of what you have inside. But most women do not look, I'm just going to stop because I'm getting in trouble. So what if she had said no? Would she still be damned? Would she still be distant? It is our religious thought. But now I want to read verse 28. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. From the Aramaic translation, the messenger entered next to her and said, Peace to you, Mary. The full grace of our Lord is with you, blessed Lady, notice, he entered. He didn't catch her outside. Secondly, he says the full grace of our Lord, the angel's Lord and her Lord. He's already her Lord. He's already close to her. He already loves her. There's no difference between the angel's Lord and her Lord. She's just finding out some things. Is with you. He's with you. So the messenger entered next to her. Proximity. He entered. He, he was powerfully present. No distance in time. No, no separation. Next to her. And said peace with you because... Our Lord is with you. He's next to you. I love that. So why is this entered next to her important? Well, because you know that just a little bit earlier in the chapter, there's another sort of supernatural birth of somebody else, right? Given to Elizabeth, who is Mary's cousin, who gets pregnant six months before Jesus comes into Mary's womb through the Immaculate Conception. And six months prior, Elizabeth, who's an elderly prayer warrior praying daily in the temple with her husband, she gets pregnant with John the Baptist. Right? Now, when that happens, an angel comes also. But he stands outside and he gives her the prophetic proclamation at the temple. But when this angel comes to Mary, he comes inside of her home, introduces himself and says, Mary, God loves you. He's with you. And guess what? He wants to use your body to bring forth the God of the universe who is going to initiate his kingdom, inaugurate his kingdom. He, what's the big deal? Well, one was legal, 
One was judicial and in the temple, and the other was personal, relational, and based on God's pure love. Love that. Oh, my goodness. Let's summarize that real quick. He entered next to her. So Gabriel appeared to Zechariah. That was legal or judicial. But when the angel appeared to Mary, it was relational, out of pure love. So he entered next to her. He said, our Lord. So he was Mary's Lord also. He's with you. This is the language of goodwill. It's the language of Emmanuel. It's the language of Christmas all over again. Then we go to verse 29 and 30. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor in God's sight. I don't know about you, but it kind of sounds like behavior, behavior modification, goodness, moral uprightness. It just seems to, in this translation of it, Mary, you have found favor in God's sight. So you've been good enough. Remember the little song, the jingle, Christmas jingle we used last week in the message? Does anybody remember that? Oh, it's very popular, the one about Santa. He knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you are, right? He knows whether you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness. Who is this creepy guy? He acts like God. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. And he's looking at a list of morals to judge whether you're right or wrong, good or bad. Now, that's the way the song goes. But the interesting thing is, that song was pinned out of a general religious belief we have over here in the West that comes out of our theology. God is distant. He's angry. He's looking for your rights and your wrongs, your bad and your good, and then he's going to reward you accordingly. And nothing could be further from the announcement of the birth of Jesus and his coming to this earth. So in verse 29 and 30, she was greatly troubled at this saying, you're going to bear a child. What sort of greeting is this? Mary, for you, you have found favor with God. Now, this is not judicial. It is not God showing favoritism towards this little Jewish girl. Out of all the Jewish girls who could have bore the Christ. Why was this one chosen? Oh, God specially loved her. God specially loved her. She must have been good and moral and holy and actually no. Scriptures do teach us that that was not at all her state. I submit to you this, and I do think I have these. Let's see, no, I I don't, I'll just tell them to you. So the Aramaic translation of that says this, the messenger said to her, fear not, Mary, for you have found grace next to God. You're already there. He already loves you. He is your Lord. You have found grace being next to him. But listen, it gets better. Philip's translation. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. God loves you dearly. (laughs) Isn't that great? God just loves you dearly. Don't be afraid. God loves you dearly. When's the last time in a religious message, 
You heard, God just loves you the way you are. He loves you dearly, despite your performance. The Passion Translation, get a load of this, beautiful. But the angel reassured her, saying, Do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. Woo, glory, you're going to get pregnant. Hallelujah, wonderful gift. He's going to surprise you. And why? Because he just loves you, just delights in you. Would you all look up here for just a minute? I know your various thoughts going through your mind. You're probably thinking about Tuesday morning, getting that wrapping off of those presents. God delights in you. Oh, Pastor Jeff, you don't, you don't know me. God delights in you. He loves you. He's not mad at you. And oh, by the way, God has a great big old surprise for you. Started with Jesus, but man, he's got that every... I love Oral Roberts used to say, something good, say it with me, something good is going to happen to you today. That was his mark, his theme. Isn't that a great saying? Something good. He had a way of saying it. Something good. Hand used to shake. It's going to happen to you today. Beautiful. Here's the message translation of that. Watch. Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. <laughs> it's just simple. I love that. Hey, where are you, Christmas? Where are you, Christmas? Where are you, Christmas? Christmas is within you. Christmas is within you. Christmas is within you. We continue in our text. Watch. And behold, you will conceive in your womb... And you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And Mary said to the angel, How's this going to be since I'm a virgin? I've never known a man. I've never slept with a man. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child that's going to be born will be called holy. He'll be the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has already conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For, watch these words, nothing will be impossible with God. Would you please repeat that? Nothing will be impossible with God. Let's keep reading. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Read what she said back to this angel. May I submit to you that it was God who was pregnant and that Mary just became an incubator for his dream? Your entire life on this planet, the only responsibility really that you have 
is to do what Mary did. God, I receive your dream. Be it unto me according to your plan. I'm your incubator. Right now, for some of you, that's just absolutely destroying, destroying religion in your life. To hear that God is not mad at you, that he's not far from you, that he's dreaming through you and that you can be the incubator. I want you to read it out loud. Say it. God was pregnant. Mary just became the incubator for the dream of God. Here's the Aramaic of verse 31. Remember, let's see, verse 30. Oh, we'd, we'd have to go back. Oh, we start with verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Here's the uh, Aramaic. For behold, you will receive a pregnancy. God was pregnant. The angel said, hey, here you go. You're going to get pregnant with God's dream. Consider how Jesus was born. God sent his word. Psalm 107:20. I will send my word and heal them. John chapter 1, verse 3 and 14. Or John chapter 1, verses 1 and 3, or 1 through 3 and verse 14. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. But here's the passion translation. Listen, it's so beautiful. It's, it's like God is standing right there and just talking to us. Listen, quote, in the very beginning, the living expression was already there, and the living expression was with God, and yet fully God. They were together face to face. And in the beginning, and through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things. I think, Jeff, do I have that? Uh, uh, here, look. Psalm 107.20, I will send my word and heal them. John 1, most translations, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. In the very beginning, the living expression was already there and the living expression was with God and yet fully God. And they were together face to face in the very beginning. And through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things, for nothing has existence apart from him. And so this living expression became a man, and he lived among us, and we gazed upon the splendor of his glory and the glory of the one and only who came from the... Do you realize that the creator of the universe is standing this morning face to face with you? He's not separate, and he's not angry. And he says, hey, I have a dream for your life. I have a destiny for your life. Would you be willing? Would you be willing to carry it? All you have to do is say yes. Do I get a... Can, can God get a yes this morning? <laughs> for carrying his dream. Verse 37 no word from God will ever fail. That's the New International Version. Now, look at this. Mary responds to the angel in verse 38. Let it be to me according to your word. Or, the Aramaic says, it will be for me just like your word. When God says it, it's going to happen like that for you. Just like 
his word. His promises are true. His promises are good. Especially the younger individuals in our midst might be familiar with a famous movie that came out in 2000 called The Grinch That Stole Christmas. Anybody seen that movie? Parents, you've seen that movie? The Grinch is a bitter, grouchy, cave-dwelling creature with a heart two sizes too small. And he lives as a hermit on a snowy mountain crumpet, a steep high mountain just north of the town of Whoville, home of the merry and warm-hearted Hoos. His only companion is his unloved but loyal dog, Max. From his cave, the Grinch can hear the noisy Christmas festivities that take place in Whoville. Continuously annoyed, he devises a wicked scheme to steal their presents, their trees, and their food from their Christmas feast. He crudely disguises himself as Santa Claus and forces Max, disguised as a reindeer, to drag a sleigh down to the mountain, or down the mountain towards Whoville. Once at Whoville, the Grinch slides down the chimney of one of the houses, steals all of the Who's Christmas gifts and presents, the Christmas tree, and the log for the fire. He's briefly interrupted in his burglary by Cindy Lou, a little Who girl, but concocts a crafty lie to effect his escape from her home after stealing from one of the ha one house. He does the same thing to all the other houses in Whoville. How many of you, you've seen the movie? I had not seen the movie. I didn't know this little story. It's so powerful, it's wonderful, because it's all about, it's a beautiful analogy about the coming, you've got to listen. After spending all night stealing stuff from the houses of Whoville, the Grinch travels back to the top of Mount Crumpet, intending to dump all of the Christmas stuff into the abyss. As dawn arrives, the Grinch expects the people in Whoville to let out bitter and sorrowful cries, but he's confused to hear them singing a joyous Christmas song instead. He is puzzled until it dawns on him that maybe Christmas, just perhaps it means a little bit more than just presents and feasting, the Grinch's shrunking heart suddenly grows three sizes, and the reformed and liberated Grinch returns to the village to give back all that he's stolen from the Who's. Christmas is about the love in your heart. and what you give to others. Hi, Robert. I don't know you, and you don't know me, but I know you've been living with your parents. I know you have children, Kevin. Is he here this morning? Hi, Kevin. Tatiana, hi beautiful, and Kaylee, she's in children's church, okay. Are you Gabriel or Gabrielle? Hi. The eldest, I believe, yeah. Cousin? 
You had to leave your house after that rental property was sold. Kind of out from underneath you. You only had 30 days. You had to stick everything in storage, didn't you? And unfortunately, there's even been threats from a divorced ex who's come against the children. Children have been uprooted and landed in different schools. You haven't had work, have you? You went to work for a small company, as I understand it, but they haven't had work for you. It hasn't been steady. I understand the electricity was turned off. This is a bad time to have your electricity turned off. December 1st. No rent. Struggling. Robert, I want you and your children and all the family to pay special attention to this that I'm going to show you right now. No. 
Robert, do you, by chance, remember, family, do you remember that scripture? Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. Genesis this morning is going to practice what we preach. We're going to be Christmas. Christmas is about giving. Christmas is about loving. So, I instructed our ushers, after receiving this morning's offering, to count it. And then to make out a check for our offering. We're going to give you our morning offering. You're not familiar with this gospel. It's called the Gospel of Thomas. It didn't make it into the canon of Scripture in our English Bibles. But there are some definitely some inspired words in it. If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. Robert, I wish this were thousands of dollars larger. I have viewed that clip dozens of times. And the part that really gets me is when the angel first comes and wipes away the tear of the little girl who's feeling hopeless, wipes away her tear, says goodbye. We hope that this check will in some way wipe away some of the tears. And we bless you this morning. Not because you're good and you might be wonderful. Not because you know us. I don't know you from Adam. This is the first time I've ever seen you. But just because this is what Jesus would do. And he wants you to know for the rest of your life, he is not distant from you. He loves you. <laughs>